Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is a worship leader, speaker, writer, social advocate. She's from Halifax, Virginia, a fellow graduate of Howard University. She's also a graduate of Yale Divinity School, the Yale Institute of Sacred Music, Worship, and the Arts. She's a member of the inaugural class of Princeton's Black Theology Leadership Institute. She was awarded the 2019 Phil Wall Abolitionist of the Year Award by the Oklahoma Coalition to abolish the death penalty for her criminal justice advocacy and reform work. Her writing and advocacy work has been featured in the Huffington Post, Essence, Self Magazine, Yahoo Health, Teen Vogue, and many, many more sources. And her music has been shared across the country and featured on Stephen Hurd's The Overflow and Times of Refreshing as well as Grace Covenant worship albums. Her singles, Dreams and Your Love is Deep, are on all digital outlets. Today, 
we're going to talk to her and we welcome her uh, to the podcast. We're going to talk about the case of Julius Jones. CC Jones Davis joins us. CC, how are you? Hi, Mark. I'm well. Um, thank you so very much for allowing me to join you today. It's a really special opportunity and, I, and I'm really grateful. Well, we're honored to have you and very impressed um, by all the things you've done spiritually. We have to have you. Um, you know, I lead a national pandemic prayer call every morning under the Proctor Conference. I we see every you. morning. I we was do. say that before we started recording. I <laughs> see you. you every morning. <laughs> we have to have you join us. Yeah. CC. Absolutely. Love we love that. you. Love well, first of all, let's ask everyone. How are you and your family doing in this in this pandemic? Thank you. Thank you so much for asking. Um, we are we're holding up, but we're tired. You know, I have two little ones and it's really challenging to figure out how to keep their lives moving forward uh, when they're in the house. And um, considering the pandemic, as well as um, the other um pandemics of racism and uh, inequality and injustice that we have going on all across the world. It's, it's a lot, I think, for any human soul to be bearing right now, you know? Um, yeah. And so the honest answer is we're, we're probably doing as well as anybody else. You know, we are just trying to maintain and hold on, um, but it's, we're really living in some hard times. Yeah, we are, we are. Um, and, and the other demic, so to speak, we're living in is, is honestly, police demic, but I think if we expand that, we could really include the whole criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. um, we cannot forget that for every story we see um, about police misconduct or police killing, um, there are probably uh, 10 other sisters and brothers who are wrongfully incarcerated. Um, and then once you break that down, there are a number of sisters and brothers, many who are on death row unnecessarily. Um, well, first of all, there, there shouldn't even be a death row. And I know you <laughs> agree with that. Oh, sophisticated countries around the, world, around the world have gotten rid of that. But Julius Jones, first of all, uh, tell our audience your relationship with Julius I'm from Virginia. I moved to Oklahoma uh, for my husband's work um, about five years ago. Um, I was working for the Obama administration for several years and lived outside of D.C. Um, but I'm from Virginia and I moved here. And a couple of years ago, I watched a docuseries that Viola Davis and her husband, Julius Tennant, produced called The Last Defense. And it was um, in part about a young man named Julius Jones who has been on death row for 21 years now. Um, uh, and the ways that the thing, the issues that they brought up in that docuseries just really um, bothered me to a great extent. I live in Oklahoma City now, and I just mm. could not, uh, after seeing, you know, my grandmother taught me growing up, you're responsible for what you know. Mm -hmm. And so after I watched that docuseries and I saw the issues um, that were raised, I felt responsible as somebody living in Oklahoma City. And so um, I did not know Julius Jones before that. I did not know his family, but I reached out. I Googled his attorneys after watching that docuseries. I got in touch with his family 
And for the last two years, um, my life has kind of been around um, advocating for a retrial for him and now before the Pardon and Parole Board and the governor of Oklahoma on his behalf. I see. So now the case itself, is it true that Julius Jones could be facing execution as early as this year? That it is possible. Uh, so here's here's where we are. Okay. So the state of Oklahoma had a botched execution uh, in 2015. And as a result, they placed a hold on all executions. Um, uh, Julius Jones filed a clemency application before them in October of 2019 because he's innocent. Um, and in February of 2020, the state of Oklahoma announced that they would resume executions soon. So we were looking for Julius and others in Oklahoma to potentially get execution dates uh, in July, uh, in a few weeks. However, a, a court here in the state um, is requiring the state to provide more um, information about how they're going to have their employees trained to carry out executions before setting dates because, of course, they don't want another botched execution again in the state. So um, we have we are fortunate that Julius Jones does not have an execution date set yet. Uh, and our work is about advocating on his behalf um, and amplifying his story as much as humanly possible. But it is true that he could um, that the court could be satisfied with what the state says and he could receive an execution date before the end of the year. That's possible. There's a petition on change.org. Yeah. Almost six million people have signed. Yeah. So congratulations on that. That's some incredible work. Thank you. And and can I say that um when I when I started my my role in all of this, um, I started two years ago, but Julius's family and he has a best friend, uh, Jimmy Lawson, who has been his best friend since the sixth grade. Um, were Julius's constant support before all of the advocacy work really got started. Um, and when I, when I started this effort, this advocacy work, um, that I've undertaken on his behalf, you know, I said to God, God, if you do this, I promise to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. And I want, in all, in all ways that I'm able to speak about this, I try to honor that. Um, and so when you see that six million, um, person's signature on a petition on change.org, I'm going to really tell you that this has been divine. It has been, it has been a lot of human work, don't get me wrong, but the ways in which Julius's story has unfolded, you know, Viola Davis and her husband, Julius Tennant, they did not have to choose this man's story. There are stories all over this country about injustice and racism and, and this and that. They did not have to choose Julius's story. I believe it was divine that they chose him. Um, and I believe that it's, it's been a divine process to see how people have come to um, to understand that there is a problem with a man named Julius Jones in Oklahoma. Um, and so we went from having, you know, 200,000 signatures on that petition just a couple months ago, you know, and we would think we were doing something to, you know, over in a very short amount of time, the numbers of people who now have an ear leaned in to who Julius is, Julius is and his situation, you know, 
six million people. I, it's it's divine, and I'm so grateful. Um, it, people like right there in Oklahoma City, Russell Westbrook. People like Blake Griffin, Trey Young. I mean, there's some pretty uh, heavy hitters on this too who signed on. Yeah, yeah, there are, uh, and we've really. You know, this has really taken another a turn um, for us, for this campaign. When Kim Kardashian learned about Julius, you know, so many of us know now that she's uh, really gotten heavily involved in criminal justice reform work. Um, and she got a hold of Julius's story um, and, you know, started to really kind of ampli amplify this on social media. And then um, Jason Flom, who's the CEO of Lava Records in New York, and um, Scott Butnick, who is the producer of the movie Just Mercy and the Hangover movies. Um, the, the three of those folks got a hold of Julius and really developed a heart for his story and have helped bring in other influencers and um, really take this to the next level. And so... Um, you know, I'm really grateful that there are influencers and celebrities out there who understand their roles and responsibilities and um, have have a consciousness to to lean into heart to heart matters and to really give issues like this the wings that they need in order to be elevated to where they need to go. So, Cece Jones Davis, let's walk through Julius's story and, and how this all began in, in the first place, if you would, please. Absolutely. So 21 years ago, and it will be 21 years at the end of July, uh, Julius Jones was a 19-year-old um, freshman at the University of Oklahoma. He had just graduated the top 10% of his high school class with, I believe, a grade point average of 3.9. He went to University of Oklahoma on an academic scholarship. He was a really good basketball player as well. Um, the summer that uh, the summer after his freshman year, he came home. He hooked up with some friends or some acquaintances from high school that he used to play basketball with, and um, as a result of connecting with those folks, um, before the end of this, before the end of the summer, he would find himself in some very, very hot water here in Oklahoma City. The gist of this story is that there was a man uh, named Mr. Paul Howell, um, a, a white prominent businessman in the suburbs of Oklahoma, Edmond, Oklahoma, um, who unfortunately experienced a very um, horrific uh, crime. He was killed um, in a carjacking gone wrong. Mm. Ultimately, what we believe is that uh, the co-defendant uh, and some of some other uh, cohorts who were also informant, inf police informants um, framed Julius for this particular crime. Julius's family says that Julius was home with them and that they saw the news flash across the TV that a man in Edmond had been killed. They can tell you that they were eating spaghetti and cornbread. They can tell you that they were playing Monopoly. They can tell you that there was that Julius was upset because his sister and brother had eaten the last of his cookies, and he was complaining to his mother about that. And then this news comes across the screen. And um, it's important for me to say um, that while I say all those amazing things about Julius, and they are all true, what is also true 
um, that the other side uh, in this situation uses often is that he had, as a as a teenager, some run-ins with the police. Um, but they were all for petty crimes. They were all for nonviolent crimes, and they were for issues that lots of youth go through uh, in the criminal justice system very early on. Um, but long story short, a couple of days after the murder, Julius was arrested um, and ultimately tried and convicted and sentenced to death um, for for this crime. Now, the problems in his case, as is related to his trial. Julius had a really, really poor defense. Uh, and let me kind of, excuse me, let me kind of explain a little bit of that to you. Julius and his family, his family had hired him an attorney. And very shortly before the trial began, um, that attorney died suddenly. They did not have the money to hire another attorney and the trial was coming up. And so public defenders were um, assigned to his case. Um, these folks did not have any capital case experience. Nobody had death penalty case experience. And when, after the prosecution rested their case, the defense team literally stood up in court and said, we rest. They did not present any evidence. Yes, they did not present anything. They did not present the alibi because they said, they said that the family would not be credible. They did not present a photo of Julius Jones that was taken nine days before the crime. Julius was picked up by the police nine days before the crime for doing um, donuts or willies or whatever you call them in an empty parking lot. And instead of just giving him a citation, the cops decided to take him down to the station and book him and take his picture. There is a photo, and you can see that on the website justiceforjulius.com, that so shows Julius Jones with very, very short hair, not enough hair to, to grab a haircut, very short. The eyewitness said, there was one eyewitness, and that was the sister of the victim, said this was an African-American man with a red bandana across his face, a skull cap on his head with at least a half an inch of hair hanging from underneath, his, underneath like a braid or a dread. Uh, nine days before that crime, you, you could not pinch a piece of hair off of Julius's head. And so if they had presented that photo, we would they the court would have been able to see that Julius did not have enough hair at the time of the crime to be the perpetrator. Um, but no evidence was was presented. There were two um, two individuals in jail at the same time that the co-defendant and Julius were in jail waiting awaiting trial, uh, who came who did not know each other came independently forward without incentive to say, hey, there's a, there's a man in here named Christopher Jordan. One of them was his cellmate. There's a man named Christopher Jordan in prison, here in jail um, bragging about the fact that he framed Julius Jones, that he actually killed the man. Um, those men came forward, signed affidavits, but some, somehow the defense did not present th their testimony in court. Um, and so there are so many issues related to his defense that, I mean, it's, it's horrible. And really, before I go forward, I want to invite people to visit justiceforjulius.com and you can watch the docuseries that really, um, sparked my passion around the situation here in Oklahoma. So you can see the things that I'm talking about for yourself. So I invite you to go there, justiceforjulius.com. Um, 
you know, Julius, at the time that he was charged with this crime, there was a um, a prosecutor, the, the DA of Oklahoma County. His name was Cowboy. They called him Cowboy Bob Mason. Cowboy Bob Mason, I believe um, his reign was for about 21 years in Oklahoma County. He put about 54 people on death row. And um, over time, 33% of those cases had to be overturned. One third of his cases were overturned out of 54 people. Now, in 2016, Harvard Law School named him the second deadliest prosecutor in the United States. Um, and so Oklahoma County, and then he retired um, because there was, it came to light that there was a lot of misconduct in his office and it was a big, horrible mess. But Julius's case was was in the mix of that era, in that tough on crime era, on that time, in that era where if uh, if you commit a crime in a good neighborhood, then you're going you're going up the river, no questions asked. Um, so, also I want to say about his trial, uh, there was a juror, a white juror, who came forward in 2017 to say that this case had really haunted her for some time. And what she says is that another white juror during the trial um, said, this is a waste of our time. Let's just take this nigger to the back of the court and shoot him and get it over with. Um, she told the court that information, but that juror remained on the jury, convicted, helped to convict Julius and helped to sentence him to death. Uh, so there are several instances. His his family, juror, jurors, uh, in his trial, referred to Julius's family as their kind. Um, Julius said when he was arrested for the crime that the it, there was one point that the um, cops pulled over, got him out of the back seat, took his cuffs off, and said to him, "Run, nigger, I dare you." But he remembered the words of his father that you never you never run because that's what the police want you to do. They want to be put you in a situation where they can shoot you, and so he did not run. Um, but there's a lot of issues related to um, racial bias here in Julius's case. Uh, and I could really go on and on and on, but I really want to give people an opportunity to watch the docuseries. Um, Justice for, uh, it's called The Last Defense, but you can see it at justiceforjulius.com. You mentioned something, um, and, and, and thank you for sharing that story. Um, you mentioned something early on that others involved were police informants. Yeah. You're saying they were police informants at the time of the incident itself? I'm saying that they were police informants for quite a while during through the duration. So they were bef they were informants before the crime and they had been informants after the crime. Um and they've gone they've gone on to um have shady relationships um you know, with, with police. And, uh, it's, it's been extremely un, unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, what's crazy about that is that the state of Oklahoma just passed law a few weeks ago that, um, really, uh, requires jurors to take a second and third look at informant testimony and to understand what can happen when another party is incentivized to say, particular things. Yeah. So but, th but those laws were not in place when Julius Jones was on trial. And uh, so now we're trying to help the partner and parole board and the governor understand the other side of this story 
and understand that, that we, we really could be at risk of executing someone wrongfully in the state. The individual who was bragging about Julius taking the fall for this and him being the one who did it, um, you, you, did you say his name? Do we know his name? Yeah, his name is Christopher Jordan. Right, that's what I thought you said. Was he a, in, in informing himself at any time? I believe that he. I believe that he was. I believe that he was. But I definitely know that um, the two, uh, three other people connected to this situation around Christopher Jordan were definitely informants at the time. And Christopher Jordan's, if, if I understand you correctly, his hairstyle and the length of his hair. That's right. That is the description that the eyewitness gave. One hundred percent. He had when he was arrested. Um, as a, for this, three days later, him and Julius were arrested. When he was arrested, he had three cornrows that hit about right here. Okay. And that's, you can see that in the booking photo. So there's a booking photo of Julius nine days before the crime that has a very short crop haircut. There's a photo of Christopher Jordan with three cornrows that hit the base of his neck. Mm. Um, three days, he's picked up three days after the crime. And there's a, another booking photo of Julius when he's picked up for the crime. He has that same haircut. And so because because the court didn't see all the evidence, because his defense team didn't value his life enough to fight for the man, to give him a defense, so much of the information never did make it to the court. Right. Um, what about appeals and whatnot were there a series of appeals and if so how did they go yeah there were and listen i'm not a lawyer but i'll do my best to explain this okay sometimes it's good not to be a lawyer <laughs> okay um <laughs> my understanding is julius has had six appeals in the state of oklahoma okay. and every one of them has been struck down uh, on on the basis of a technicality and i'll give you an example so when the juror came forward in 2017 to to say, hey, this has really been bothering me over the years. This is the racist comments I heard from the, from the rest of the jury. She sent those messages to Julius's attorneys through, through Facebook Messenger. And when it was time for them to come and get an affidavit signed by her to present that in court, she was afraid because she knew a signed affidavit would make her name public. And so when they came to sign it, she, she was not here. She ran. And so when it was the date, when it was time to go to court for, to appeals court based upon the issue of racial bias as new evidence, they had these Facebook messages. And of course, the court said, we can't accept that. We need a signed affidavit. We're going to throw that out. Along those lines, since the trial, Northwestern University had done a, a study about Oklahoma's death penalty. And what they found ultimately is that an African-American man is three times as likely to be um, sentenced to death for a crime against a white person in Oklahoma. They presented that to the court. And you know what the court said? The court said, it's too late to consider that. Julius, let me, let me tell you what they said. They said, Julius Jones, a, a poor man, a defendant, should have thought before his trial to do the research himself so that that could have been presented at his original trial. So they said that study, was too late to present. And so they threw it out. And so what I'm saying to you is that on every hand, 
what ha- what appears is that one court has been willing to um to maintain the decision of the court before it as long as it is as long as they could not find a technicality to do something different about if the, if everything followed law and by the books they upheld it and that's what they've done but nobody in Oklahoma has done justice and that is what i am tr- trying to say to people that there is a wide difference a huge difference in doing law and doing justice mm-hmm. and i do not understand why that's hard for people i don't understand why people are are okay with this kind of knowing now what we know with a man uh, facing execution i do not understand that for the life of me particularly being um you know, in, in a red state, in a Bible, in a Bible saturated state, I, you know, I'm at a loss. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's overwhelming. You would, you would like to think at this moment of racial reckoning in this country, especially with regards to the criminal justice system, that this would be uh, something that would be considered. Um, and take it more seriously. So at this hour, to, to, whom, to whom are we delivering our petition? We're talking about the governor, right? Is that the only person that can really do something at this point or? No, so it's, it's twofold. We're talking about the pardon and parole board first because by law here in Oklahoma, the governor um, has to get some form of a recommendation from them to move forward. So it's the pardon and parole board here in Oklahoma, and the governor of Oklahoma. Um, and it's really important, I think, for people to understand why we are pushing so hard. Obviously, this is about life and death, right? This is not about winning or losing. This is about life and death. And it's important for people to understand that we are pushing right now so hard because we've learned our lesson. We learned our lesson from what we saw with Rodney Reed down in Texas, we learned our lesson for what we with, with what we saw down. Uh, what where, where was it? Alabama with Nate Woods, and that is that when somebody gets an execution date, it is a very hard train to stop. Mm. And so that is why, at when we are um, crying loud and sparing not and trying to save a man's life, we have got to be aggressive, aggressive, aggressive right now on this side of an execution date. We've mm-hmm. got to do this work right now. Yeah, yeah. Pardon and parole board, how, how big is that board? And do we know anyone I, on there? There are five, and there are five people. Um, and um, I, I'm familiar with the personalities. You know, I've had to do a lot of background work to figure out the personalities. So I'm familiar with the personalities. Any black? Um, we have one, one black person my understanding is that typically he's a swing vote, though. Um, and so sometimes he goes, um, you know, yes on things, and sometimes he goes no on things. And so um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what's going on with that. But, um, you know, we're hopeful. And, and what, we, what we're doing is really trying to put get out as much information about Julius and bring, bring as much awareness about this as possible. Um, because, you know, for me, especially living here in Oklahoma now, uh, and this is another thing I say all the time, we can't afford this. 
You know, we, we nowhere ever can afford this, but we're going to be celebrating the 100th um, year commemoration of the Tulsa massacre next year. It was the largest race massacre that we have on in the United States, on the books here in the United States. Uh, there's a lot of work being done around that uh, in Tulsa and around Oklahoma right now. And what I say is that Julius Jones could be another Tulsa massacre, but we see this coming and we have an opportunity to stop it. We don't have, we don't have the moral leverage to make another massive mistake in this way ever again. And so while his situation might not be Tulsa massacre in terms of, um, violence, you know, like, where 300 people are slaughtered, it will be like Tulsa Massacre in terms of shame. And we cannot afford this level of shame. And we need to make sure that, we, that we've that we got this right. And I, I'm, I'm telling everybody that currently we don't have it right. Well, and let me just put a number on that. A hundred years ago, six million people didn't know about the Tulsa Massacre. Come on. Six million people know up front about Julius Jones. Right. So you're absolutely right. It will be even larger and a greater spotlight will be on Oklahoma because of the centennial of the Tulsa massacre. So you right. have to be right. You know, uh, Oklahoma might want to get itself together around this one. Yeah, you're right. They might want to. So aside from signing the petition, what is it that people can do? What is it that we can do? Yeah. So we need people to go to the website, justiceforjulius.com, and we need you to um, sign the petition. We need you to watch the docuseries for yourself. Mm -hmm. We need you to send letters to the governor and the pardon and parole board. Uh, we need organizations around this country to send letters. There's a way on the website um, where you can send an e-letter, and that's totally fine, and we welcome that if that's what you can do. But we need our prominent uh, members of our community and our organizations to write out letters, of, to watch the docuseries and write letters of support and send to the Pardon and Parole Board and the governor. We need people to take ownership of this with us. You know, um, I'm involved in this not because I knew Julius or because I knew his family or any of the, any of the like. I'm, I'm in this because I'm responsible now for what I know. And we need people to take ownership and responsibility for this now. So following Justice for Julius on all the social medias, sharing, liking, um, um, you know, bringing your sorority chapters together, you know, bringing your other community organizations together to say, what are we going to do about this man in Oklahoma? That's what we need people to do. And you can always contact me um, in my in my team through the website. There's a contact us button and you can always contact me that way. You're a minister. Yeah. Talk to us about how this struggle um, intersects with your ministry and your spirituality and what, what place it has really in anyone's faith or spiritual journey, whatever their denomination or whatever point of discernment they might find themselves in and trying to figure out their spiritual place in the world? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um, I'll tell you what, 
for me, it's really, you know, my, my spirituality is pretty simple. You know, the Bible is my sacred text. And, um, you know, the word that stays with me is um, the first two commandments, loving God and then loving your neighbor as yourself. And loving your neighbor as yourself, I don't think is as complex as people try to make it out to be. Loving your neighbor as yourself for me is about um, deciding for myself if what I see in the world related to the people that I'm in any kind of proximity with, if if what I'm seeing going on in their lives is not um, is not acceptable for me and my family and my children, then why should I accept that? for their family and their children. And when I met Julius's mother and I saw how this whole family had been carrying the weight of the death penalty in Oklahoma on their, on their, on their poor little shoulders for 20 years, there was no way in the world I could then turn away from that woman. So my spirituality is about, you know, the mandate of loving my neighbor as I love myself and about losing my life to find it. And taking up my cross, you know, and following the best way I know. And I don't, if Jesus would not be hell bent on this right now, then I don't know what else he would be doing. And so this is my way of following him as best as I can understand following and, um, and seeing it through, you know, every day I don't feel passionate, but every day I feel committed. And, um, I, I just feel like it's my, my God given responsibility. I'll also add to you that, you know, I'm from Virginia. I'm from the seat of the Confederacy. I grew up in Halifax County, which, you know, was a plantation town. My grandmother worked for um, the descendants of the ancestors who owned our ancestors. Um, and I have a very complicated, we have a very complicated relationship with that family even to this day. And I, and, but my grandmother was also the scribe of our community. She was one of the very few African-American people in my little town who was literate. And so her ministry was about um, writing the obituaries for every black, black person, black family for 25, 30 years for nothing. Uh, and that was her way of using what she had um, to serve fellow man, to serve her community. And um, she she learned and she knew how to be a voice for people that could not write or read for themselves. Uh, and that's something she imparted in our family. That was something she imparted to me. And so with whatever I have, with the degrees, the, the, the this, the that, the that or the other, I'm going to do my best to use those things in service for people who cannot speak for themselves. And um, I've, I found a niche here with Julius and I'm I'm eternally grateful to God. It's the hardest work I've ever done, but it's the most necessary, the most sacred thing I've ever done. Well, honestly, Cece, you talk about where Jesus would be. I mean, Jesus, like Julius, was wrongfully sentenced to death by the state himself. Yes, he was. And Dick Gregory used to say that if Jesus were now, we wouldn't be wearing crosses around our necks. We'd be wearing lethal injection needles. Right because that would have been the means of, of execution um, even now today. So um, also I read, is this correct, that Julius spends 23 hours a day in solitary confinement? That's right, he does. He spends 23 hours a day in solitary confinement. Um, he's let out once a day to, um, to go 
in an area that I, I don't even believe uh, has direct sunlight. So I don't think Julius, the last time I knew, he said that he hadn't seen the sun in 14 or 15 years. Um, he um, is allowed to take a shower um, three times, I believe, a week. And he takes that shower in cold water. Um, he's shackled everywhere from point, anywhere he goes from point A to point B. Um, and I, I cannot imagine living, you know, living the way that, that he has been living or any of those folks on death row have been living. I, I can't even imagine it, but it's been hard. And I mean, we're actually hearing now, you know, the, the revelations that, um, and, and we saw that most recently with Khalif Browder here in New York. That, right. It is now more and more understood that solitary confinement in and of itself is a form of cruel and unusual punishment. Absolutely. I mean, that's just. Absolutely. How old is Julius now? Julius is, um, I believe he's 40. Hmm. I believe he's 40. He reads a lot. He's really. Um, He's really a bookworm. Uh, he writes a lot. He draws. He's a great artist. He has two poetry books out. Um, he's a real deep thinker. Uh, and I think those are the things he has used to kind of keep his mind sharp and keep himself stimulated. Um, but but he's been living in some um, real rough conditions for all these years. Folks, we invite you to go to change.org and sign the position, but we also invite you to watch the documentary, justiceforjuliusjones.com. The documentary is there, as well as all the other information you need, how to get involved, where to find everything on social media, justiceforjuliusjones.com. Please, ma'am, please, sir. Um, we can't just exist for viral moments that the capitalist media helps to drive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to just be clear about this. A uh, whole lot of folk never heard of Juneteenth. Right. And if it not been for a lot of white guilt and a lot of white media guilt, a lot of folk, black folk even, still would not have known about Juneteenth. Just trying to keep this real. Yep. So just like all of these stories, the stories of uh, George Floyd and Richard Brooks and Ahmaud Arbery were helped by video. There's no video on Brianna. Yeah. I've been trying to keep her story alive. There's no video for Julius Jones. And Julius Jones is at, is at the far end of the spectrum because while the the law did not kill him immediately. It is plotting to kill him now. 100%. So we're gonna we don't need when we know that, like if we had known they were gonna kill George Floyd, we would have tried to stop it. We know that they're going to try to kill Julius. So right. we can stop it right now, can't we? That's what we're talking about right here. That's right. So, so folks, you know, let's be clear on what we're doing and, and, and not being, uh, 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 you know, non-comprehensive and non-holistic in our approach 
to the problems within our criminal justice system. You know, we can, if we, we could even, let's say we didn't want to touch another police killing. There's still enough in the criminal justice system in the area of capital punishment alone to have a worldwide movement equal to the ones we're seeing around George Floyd. Right. Everybody say, you know what? We don't even care about police killings no more. As crazy as that would be. They said, well, let's focus on capital punishment. The, a movement, it is an issue as worthy of as large a movement. That's right. So, so I want everybody to be clear about this. And we got to walk and chew gum at the same time. Let's save Julius's life. Let's see whose life we can save mm. rather than, you know, put on a T-shirt after that person passes away. Yep. All right. So uh, uh, we want you to get behind this and we need you. And our sister needs our help. She has, again, taken up this cross along with others. Uh, uh, Russell Westbrook right there in Oklahoma City, Blake Griffin, a lot of other great people. So uh, Sister Helen uh, Prejean tweeting about it the other day. And I've had the, pres- the pleasure of being in her company. And I said something to her, too, Cece, when we were together on a panel once. And I said, you know, she agreed with me. She said she never thought about it before. Speaking of videos, if they showed on C-SPAN or somewhere, and this was actually might have been right around the time, come to think of it, of the botched execution in Oklahoma. We were on a panel in Philadelphia. And I, and I said, if they showed executions, live on television, like on C-SPAN. Yep. The way Emmett Till, I mean, the way Mamie Till Mobley showed Emmett Till's remains, then the will to stop executions in this country would appear just like that. Yeah. Um, but we don't want to even get to that point with Julius. He is innocent. Well, by the way, where is Christopher Jordan now? Is he still locked up? So Christopher D- Jordan, no. He made a deal with the DA. Um, uh, he's bragging about that as well. He got out in 15. He, the court thought, uh, was presented uh, with this idea that he was going to get 30 years in prison. But it seems like Christopher made a second deal to get out in 15, and he did get out in 15. So he's been out since 2014. Um, and he's, I don't know, I don't know if he's in Oklahoma City still uh, or not. JusticeForJuliusJones.com. Sister, appreciate your your ministry, your witness, your advocacy, your soldiering um, for our comrade Julius. We're going to stand with you and do all we can to help. And and we're at your service here on this broadcast. And I want to make sure some of my friends um, in media are pushing this as well. But we thank you. Yeah. Mark, I thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate the um, the platform, the witness that you have, and I also appreciate how you're getting us through this pandemic uh, every morning with um, with prayer and meditation. I really appreciate that. So thank you for everything that you do. Well, we're going to have you join us. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to. All right. Thank you, Cece Jones-Davis, everybody. JusticeJulius.com. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. 
Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.